Welcome into Tales Never Fails. My name is Steve Kramer. Appreciate you checking out the show. On today's show, a preview of week six. You can follow us on Twitter at TNF underscore podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. I do all of this with the one and only Mr. Parker Early Parks. How are you doing? Doing good. Yeah, ready for a big week six. Um, like I keep saying, as the season goes on, really start to feel who these teams are. So it uh, should only get better from here. Yeah, Parks, and to recap, uh, week five from betting, you ended up going five and one, gained 3.9 units on the season. Uh, you hit the Seattle money line, Niners minus three and a half, Steelers plus four, Denver plus seven, Carolina minus three. The only one you missed out on was Tampa Bay did not cover the five and a half that we got pretty good line movement value on. Um, do you want to talk about any of those before we get into the Monday night recap? Um, yeah, not really, just because, you know, we covered, I think, all of them except for the 49ers game, which we can get into with the Monday night game on the recap podcast. So you can you can listen to those for for the most part. I, I think I covered uh, everything over there. Yeah, Parks, that was a 31-3 to win for the Niners at home on Monday night against the Cleveland Browns. Um, what did you see whenever you watched that one? Right, and it was kind of, you know, didn't expect that sort of blowout, but did sort of expect um, Baker Mayfield, Freddie Kitchens, and mainly that offensive line of the Cleveland Browns to, you know, uh, they always say offensive lines, you know, bad offensive lines really struggle to travel, and you get the Monday night atmosphere in the crowd of San Francisco with communication issues, and you add in that, you know, as we're starting to learn four games into this season, that, um, you know, Nick Bosa has been playing well, and it kind of finally culminated on the stat sheet against Baker, but, you know, the impact of Bosa, the addition of D Ford, um, the breakout of DeForest Buckner, which I've kind of been calling for a while now, and he really is turning into a star. But you know, you kind of have that star level talent, and that turns guys like Solomon Thomas was looking in, you know, like a bust. But now he's a rotational player. You know, he's not a number two draft pick that you're relying on. He's a rotational player, and that makes him look a little better. Eric Armstead, you know, was a former first round pick looking like a bust. Now he's a rotational player. He looks a little bit better. So you know, you look at that San Francisco defense, and you're saying. You know, they're somewhat of the real deal here, and they really are, you know, starting to trend well. And, you know, we covered or we um, bet on Kyle Shanahan a ton last season, saying, um, especially in the underdog role, really like him and his ability to keep his team in games despite the fact that they were so undermanned. Well, now they're starting to be manned. And, um, yeah, they they starting to are, you know, I'm starting to think San Francisco could be a pretty good team. And, I mean, Jimmy G, I don't even think he's necessarily played all that well. I think, you know, Shanahan has always been um, a, a run-heavy head, head coach. And, you know, they're still sorting out their receivers. But um, Jimmy G, you know, when you think about it, it's technically his, you know, second season in the system. He's really, you know, hasn't played too much in the system. And he's coming off of an ACL injury where, you know, probably should take him four or five games before he really starts to get into his groove. And I think you are starting to see him slowly come into his groove. So San Francisco, you know, things are pointing up uh, for Baker Mayfield and Kitchens, kind of like I said, that um, – Kitchens is in way over his head right now, and there's going to be times where the talent and the youth and the upside of this team is able to win out, and I kind of talked about how the whole world overreacts and underreacts on everything the Browns do right now, Um, and we're going to talk about that later, but, you know, Kitchens... Situations like that where he's going to have to travel and where he's going to have to, you know, get his team up for big games and situations where Kyle Shanahan or, you know, somebody who can scheme like that is on the other side. He's going to look overwhelmed and Baker Mayfield um, really, you know, looks the same. Uh, Antonio Callaway, too, you know, he he dropped that play in the end zone. And, you know, uh, Freddie Kitchens, another thing that I just I can't stand about Freddie Kitchens. It's not about Freddie Kitchens. It's that the media, how they treat Freddie Kitchens is that, you know, everything Hugh Jackson did was so freaking stupid. And, oh, you know, he's so dumb. Um, Freddie Kitchens is his breath of fresh air. He's nothing like Hugh Jackson. And then I talked about on one of the podcasts, the whole Odell thing. 
thing and how last year on Hard Knocks, Freddie Kitchens, you know, sounded so smart and so brave by standing up to Hugh Jackson and saying, we need our players to practice in training camp because we need to toughen them up. And then he lets Odell, you know, slide through and not train in training camp. Antonio Callaway's the same thing. Like he's over, you know, him and Haley are saying we need to be tough on Callaway. We need to be, you know, make, make him mature. Okay. He gets suspended under Freddie Kitchens watch, just like he did under Hugh Jackson's watch. Freddie sticks him right back in the lineup. He gets him, you know, right in high leverage situations. Callaway continues to be an immature kid who just doesn't care about football. He gives up a huge interception that changes the game from 14 to three to San Francisco goes down and really just puts the game away. It could have been 14 to 10, but um, that goes back to, and Kitchens after the game defends him and says, right now he's playing like our best skill player. We need Antonio Callaway. It's like, no, you don't. He's an awful player and he's completely immature and he's undermining everything you're doing. And people are going to start looking at you and saying, you know what, man, like this, this Callaway kid is blowing games and Baker Mayfield is going to stop throwing it to him. And, uh, you know, Baker's going to be under some press too, but I just think that's where Freddie Kitchens is just, he's a, he's a play caller who's in way over his head because he was just, you know, running backs or a tight ends coach not too long ago. So it'll be interesting to see, but uh, I really think that game said a little bit more about San Francisco than it did about Cleveland even. Yeah, Parks, and um, we already talked about the Thursday night game on um, the recap pod. So moving on to Sunday here, 9.30 a.m. Eastern on NFL Network over in London. The 3-2 and two Panthers take on the 2-3 and three Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, Tampa Bay took one in Carolina back in week two, that Thursday night game, 20-14. to 14, So a little bit of a revenge spot here for the Panthers. Um, Christian McCaffrey, Ron Rivera said that Wednesday's offer him at practice. This is going to be the new norm. So he's expected to suit up on Sunday as well as a couple other guys. Eric Reed was limited with an ankle injury. He said that he would be ready. Same with Shaq Thompson. Um, so not a whole lot in the injury front for the Panthers. But looking over at Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they will be without their starting right guard and right tackle. And right before we started recording here, rookie guard Zach Bailey suffered a foot ankle injury at practice today. He's not traveling with the team. So that leaves the Bucks with only six healthy offensive linemen for this this game I imagine they'll add one to get that number up to seven parks looking at the line here it opened as a pick 46 and a half in the total that total has moved up to 47 and a half and 47 across the board um, Panthers are now favored by two and a half in most places you can get two at some places as well parks talk to me about this one yeah, definitely um, are leaning towards Carolina and really, you know, just haven't bet it yet because, like you said, kind of missed out on some of the movement. And, you know, I definitely like the money line more than I would have liked, you know, laying points in this spot. Just, you know, funky things can happen in London. But like you said, there's definitely revenge on the line. And if you did watch that Thursday night game, you really noticed that the Panthers were the better team throughout the game. And that was the game where James – or uh Cam Newton, you really, you know, he's been out since then because you could just tell that he was extremely limited and, you know, he wasn't running and he really wasn't even completing passes. And um, that was actually a game where Curtis Samuel was, you know, just running free um, into the open field and just Cam just could not connect with him whatsoever. And that takes us into this game where I actually do think you're going to get a lot of the same things because something we've been talking about is they made the offense simple for Kyle Allen. He's able to kind of just step in and do a lot of the similar things that Cam does. You know, they haven't, you know, cut pages out of the offense or anything. And I think they're going to set up and say, you know, we just saw Teddy Bridgewater, who was captain check down. And, you know, we're going to get back to the fact that I think that may have been a bit of an anomaly to, the, you know, how he was able to push the ball down the field against the 
Buccaneers. And really the only person who hasn't been able to push the ball down the field against the Buccaneers was um, Cam Newton. You can say they had a good game against Jared Goff, but Jared Goff threw for, you know, what, 500 yards in total. So, you know, these quarterbacks are consistently throwing the ball down the field on them. Curtis Samuel was able to create a ton of separation. So I really, I think Curtis Samuel is a big time, uh, you know, a buy kind of low type of player in this spot. I think um, it's it's similar to me, like the Will Fuller of last week, where it's the build up, the build up, the build up, and he finally breaks for a big game. Um, I'm expecting something to happen here in London. I I think the move to, like you said, the over is probably going to, you know, London, it just seems like defenses are much more sloppy in London, whether they're tired, the travel, everything like that. Um, just seems like it's more sloppy. So I do start with the fact that I like Curtis Samuel. And I mean, DJ Moore's obviously in a good spot too, considering he'll probably get a lot of Vernon Hargraves, which I mean, he'll beat Vernon Hargraves. It's just, you know, Allen, how many times will he be able to consistently hit more and more also doesn't run as many routes deep down the field where he's going to kind of take the quick intermediate, the short stuff. But I do really like him then obviously McCaffrey, but you do have to kind of um, lower your expectations for McCaffrey because whether they were loading the box against McCaffrey, knowing that Cam couldn't throw the ball deep in the first game, they've shut out, uh, you know, Todd Gurley. They've held Kamara in check. They've held McCaffrey in check. They've held Saquon in check before Saquon got hurt. So you're talking about the best NFL teams, you know, they have Vita Vea, they have Sue, they have Devin White. Um, they can defend the run pretty well with with based on what they're doing. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if the the Panthers are able to get enough passes to McCaffrey. And like I said, you know, I wouldn't, I don't think this is a McCaffrey blow up spot like he has been, but I think McCaffrey will obviously get his. But um, that's where I, I, I think the Saints will be able to move the football. It's hard for the Bucks to get pressure. Um, the Panthers have a good enough offensive line. And then on the other side, the pressure of the Carolina Panthers against, like you said, they're shuffling so many pieces on the offensive line. Um, Brian Burns looks like he's going to be a big time uh, hit as an NFL draft player. Um, Mario Addison's having a great year for the Panthers. And I talk about how they disguise and mix up looks and really, you know, inside, outside rushers um, mixing everything up with their looks, potentially confuse Jameis Winston. Um, You have James Bradbury will be on Mike Evans and Mike Evans keeps drawing the best cornerbacks. Chris Godwin keeps getting not the best cornerbacks and Chris Godwin just is going to keep eating. So, um, you know, DJ Chark got Ross Cockrell over the middle of the field for what, like an 80 yard touchdown and Godwin's going to be on Ross Cockrell for a decent portion of this game. So it's going right back to Godwin. It's, you know, being a little bit, you know, uh, nervous about Mike Evans once again. And then, um, you know, not much of a running game still, although Ronald Jones, um, I think it was like, He's the last two weeks, he's gotten over 50% of the snap share, which he hasn't gotten in the first couple weeks, but the last two he has. So, you know, slightly to him, but it's not, it's not great considering, like you said, the offensive line and the defense of the Panthers. So I do expect the Panthers to get some revenge in this spot. And like I said, I think they're going to win. It's just, I don't want to, um, really lay points because things are funky in London and it's just an interesting matchup especially because you know it did open at like you said that that pick em spot but I look to the Panthers in this spot I have it like 27-20 uh, Carolina yeah Parks looking at the next one here Cincinnati Bengals at 0-5 travel to the Baltimore Ravens who are now 3-2 and that is Sunday at 1 o'clock here Parks looking at some injury stuff here Bengals wide receiver A.J. Green suited up for the first time since his ankle injury. He's obviously extremely limited. They're still not sure when he will be back. Others who are limited, 
Defensive end, Carlos Dunlap, Drake Kirkpatrick, John Miller, and Nick Vigil. Ravens injury report from Thursday. Did not practice. Um, Hollywood Brown, Onwuasor, Jimmy Smith, Brandon Williams. Um, limited participation from Mark Andrews, which has been the norm, and Maurice Canada Parks. This line opened up their parks at minus nine for Baltimore. It is up to 11 and 12 in most places. The total has stayed pretty steady at 48. Uh, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, a lot of people are looking to Baltimore, but I would honestly, in this situation, would say Cincinnati or pass. I would take all those points where, like you said, I think it's probably too many. And I mean, Cincinnati, they've gotten blown out by what Pittsburgh and San Fran, but they've hung in. You know, they hung in against the Bills um, and covered a spread against the Bills. They covered against the Seahawks on the road. And, um, they just last week, you know, against the Arizona Cardinals, that's not a great opponent, but they only lost by, you know, three points and they had a fourth quarter comeback. Um, really, you know, have had fourth quarter comebacks in uh, two or three of their games so far this season. But nonetheless, they're only losing by, you know, four to seven points in these spots. So could they, sitting at 0-5, knowing that the season's potentially over, hearing all of the trade talk where Zach Taylor had to come out today and say that A.J. Green's not getting traded. So we're going to see how that is because, you know, he's not signed and they only have a few weeks to um, extend him before they have to decide to trade him or else you're only going to get a third round compensatory pick if he leaves. I know he talked about he wants to be the Larry Fitzgerald of the Bengals, but it'll be interesting to see um, how that how that plays out. And then, you know, you're thinking about Green saying they're sitting at, you know, 0 and 5, 0 and 6, 0 and 7. You know, when is Green actually going to come back and play? Um, are the Bengals sitting here saying, if we're going to re-sign you and we're not going to trade you, we would just rather you be healthy and we put you with Tua, you know, or whoever, you know, the number one quarterback is or, you know, anything like that, um, you know, something like that. So that's where you have to think about that. But nonetheless, I think, the you know, it's a, it's a division game. I don't think the Ravens are, you know, that far and ahead over the Bengals where they could just unleash on them. I they potentially could, and this is a great potential bounce back spot for Lamar, because as, as I've been talking about, I actually, really from week one, um, you know, I was saying, buy Lamar, buy Lamar, buy Lamar, and then all of a sudden, everybody who was selling Lamar saw him play against the Dolphins, and now I'm like, you guys are kind of overrating Lamar Jackson, and you know, at this point, I kind of think he's still a little bit overrated, um, and I'm hoping, you know, as someone who, like I said, you know, before the season I was on Lamar, hoping that this is a big bounce back spot and he could potentially break away from them. I think he's going to have a huge day on with the uh, with his legs, and that's where in fantasy he's a must start and potentially the best quarterback because I could see him going for a hundred yards on the ground in a touchdown, and that's like 16, 17 fantasy points right there without him even throwing a single pass. So you know that's nice to have as your fantasy quarterback. So I, my question is, how great of a day is he going to have as a passer? Because because, you know, they can run with their heavy uh, – they have real – they basically have like a five-man front in terms of their defensive front Cincinnati. So they're going to set the edge as well. Mark Ingram's also a big-time play. Strictly because of that, they're going to run straight up the gut on them at a lot of points. But if they're able to keep him in the pocket, and who's he going to throw the football to? Because like you said, you know – Mark Andrews is banged up. Hollywood Brown, you know what, had two catches against the Steelers, was in and out of the game with an ankle injury. Um, he's so small. I kept saying before the draft, you know, what's his um, injury prognosis? What's his injury prognosis? And then I talked about it last week with the Steelers. Um, you know, it's a situation maybe the Steelers could have some d- defensive success because Hollywood Brown, it's still through five weeks, um, even adding in the Steelers game, he's thrown to Hollywood Brown 34 times. He's thrown to Mark Andrews 32 times. 
And then his next uh, is Nick Boyle with 12. So he throws to Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews. And then, he, like I say, he runs, you know, so it's not as easy or it's a bit easier right now to defend him because there really are, you know, like I'm saying, you no, know, it's Nick Boyle, Willie Sneed, Hayden Hurst, Miles Boykin, Seth Roberts, you know, he's not, there aren't many options that are able to step up. And if Hollywood Brown is banged up, um, I need to see Lamar Jackson. If I want to feel comfortable about Lamar through the rest of the season to potentially win a division that is easily winnable. I need to see him thrown to somebody besides Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown. Um, I think Mark Andrews will have a huge game, but he's still dealing with that foot injury and it's, con- it's consistently lowered his ceiling from what it has, you know, when you get Miami and Arizona and you also look and say, well, those are the 32nd and 31st best teams against tight ends. Um, but still Andrews has been fine. Like I said, Lamar consistently, consistently, consistently throws the football to him. So against this defense of Cincinnati, he's going to have his success. And like I keep saying, Lamar is going to be a, like a number one play. I'm talking about for real life. I need to see more for out of him in real life situations to prove to me. So that's what I'm looking for. And that's where I think Cincinnati could cover the spread. I also think Cincinnati can cover the spread because the Ravens defense is terrible. I say it every single week. I think you could argue it's worse than Cincinnati's defense at this point. And like you said, you know, what's their injury report like on Wusawar, who just lost his play calling duties to Josh Bynes, who they signed off of the streets last week. Um, I don't mind Josh Bynes. I don't think he's a terrible player, but he, you know, he just signed and he's calling the plays against the Steelers and that's why Devlin Hodges is sitting back there and you know completing all these passes he was what like 9 of 11 against the Ravens defense just getting thrown in there um, like it's nothing you know Tony Jefferson goes down he's out for the season now and their secondary was their biggest you know one of their biggest weaknesses um, so now really it's just Earl's back there with a you know potentially Deshaun Elliott who's never really played um, they got backup cornerback opposite of Marlon Humphrey Brandon Carr still you know struggling big time in the slot their linebackers are on Wusawar, who's got just got demoted, and Bynes, who just got you know signed, uh, you know they should be able. Tyler Boyd should just absolutely torch in this game. The question is, uh, Marlon Humphrey followed Juju into the slot last week a decent amount. Will he follow Boyd into the slot? If he does, it obviously hinders it. But that, in my opinion, makes Alden Tate. Um, I think Alden Tate will have a big time week. And I mean, Andy Dalton. It wasn't the most impressive performance in real life, but against the. Cardinals in garbage time. He put enough up to where he was worth his price in DFS, and I think he'll be. You go right back to Andy Dalton, Joe Mixon. Uh, this is like one of the last weeks for Joe Mixon that he'll um, be worthwhile. But you know, really, I think you know, start up all the guys in this game. I look to the over and I look to the Bengals, uh, like twenty eight twenty four type of game. So I actually do think the Bengals will hang, but just the way that you know Lamar is going to run and run and run, and then if he can you know complete just enough passes to all these questionable pass catchers, then they can get by, and that's what I think is going to happen in this game. Yeah, Parks, next on the board here, another Sunday at 1 o'clock game. The Seattle Seahawks are now 4-1. and one. Travel to the Cleveland Browns, who are 2-3 and three after that Monday night football loss their Parks. Um, looking at some injury stuff here, nothing really new on the Seahawks front. Um, Browns wide receiver Rashard Higgins was a full participant in today's practice. That's a good sign for him. Also a good sign for the Browns, uh, Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams were um, limited practice participants, so I would expect um, them to suit up as well this week, Parks, but I would keep an eye out uh, practice reports for tomorrow. This line opened at Seattle minus one. It's been bet up to two in some spots. There's still some one and a halfs out there. The total of 47 has been bet down to 46 across the board, Parks. We do have three plays in this game. I'll let you um, cover those if you want to. 
Yeah, we like the Browns in the over in this spot, thinking that um, kind of like I said before, the show that everybody's going to um, overreact to literally everything the Browns do. Um, you know, they lose to the Titans and they're just the most overrated team in the world. They beat the Jets and they're right back in the Super Bowl mix. Um, they lose the next week. You know, they were the most overrated team in the world. Then they beat the Ravens and, you know, oh, there they come to the AFC and they're winning the whole thing. And then they lose the 49ers or the worst team in the world. And, you know, here they come right back against the Seattle Seahawks in a spot where they should really be able to have some serious success here. And, you know, Seattle gets the extra benefit of time off from a Thursday game. Cleveland gets the, you know, Monday night and has to travel from the West Coast back home. That doesn't benefit them. But Seattle coming off of a win, um, feeling good about themselves at four and one and coming off of a division win for a non-division team that they're pretty unfamiliar with. Whereas um, I think Cleveland coming off of this loss where, like I said, now, you know, they're under this, you know, spotlight every single week. So I think there's a potential to bounce back here. And I mean, Baker Mayfield, the overreaction to him is just crazy because I can't even keep people's opinions straight to where, you know, my whole thing about betting is that are you overrated or underrated? You know, everybody's overrated or underrated, you know, based on the line movement, you know, the line is the line. And then are you over it or under it? It's like how I have to evaluate things. And like the people who are overrating Baker are underrating him the next week. And they're, over, you know, I'm just like, you guys just like keep your opinion for like three or four weeks. And like, then we'll see. But nobody could really do that with this team. It really is just wild. Um, I was listening. I think Clay Travis is such a freaking bozo. And uh, he's the worst gambler that there's like known to man. So don't like, but when he he said something that uh, he would take Marcus and someone re- retweeted this on my timeline. I don't listen to Clay Travis, but he said he would take Marcus Mariota over Baker Mayfield because he knows that Marcus Mariota is going to start in the NFL next season, and he doesn't know that about Baker Mayfield. And I just laughed for like for like two minutes because I had a podcast just on Monday where I said I don't think Marcus Mariota is going to be in the NFL next year as a starter. Like I don't know what people are watching and what people are like. I don't know how they formulate their opinions like this, but it attracts, you know, millions of people. It just amazes me how people really like that, like hot take stuff. Um, and I mean, hey, I'm talking about it too. So I guess, you know, I, I fell victim to it. But like I said, someone like said that to me. I just laughed. I was like, how could you be so wrong on it? And once he said that actually is when I texted you and said, all right, we're betting the Browns. The overreaction <laughs> is just way too stupid right now. That's just absolute. that people on TV are telling you that Baker Mayfield won't be a starter in the NFL. And like I, I you know, I'm not the highest on Baker Mayfield, but like he's good. He's fine. His offensive line is terrible. Um, he's played some pretty good defenses. And, you know, it's his, the first year for Freddie Kitchens. And um, I think I think they're going to be completely fine in this spot. You go uh, – San Francisco was third in pressure rate. They're still third in pressure rate. I talked about that defensive line upgrade. Seattle ranks 25th in pressure rate. Um, San Francisco has also been able to mix up their looks a little bit recently. They added Quan Alexander, and they have Fred Warner in their middle, which really um, – it's helped their ability to defend the middle of the field. Seattle is – they're pretty plain in, in terms of their coverages. They mix things up against Jared Goff, which was impressive. But it's also like everybody's mixing things up against Jared Goff ever since the Super Bowl that you know it was kind of like – if, if Seattle didn't do it, it would have been stunning. And even in that regard, I talked about in that game, Jared Goff went up and down the field and scored 29 points, and they should have beat Seattle. They just missed a game-winning 30, you know, 44-yard kick to um, beat them. So Seattle's defense is bad. Uh, they're just legitimately bad. There's no way of putting it around it. They don't disguise coverages. They don't have the personnel to get away with not disguising coverages. And Baker's going to be able to step to the line, know what he's seeing, and then drop back, and it's still going to be the same thing that he saw pre-snap, which isn't what 
what he's been seeing against, you know, when, when he plays the Jets and stuff, or even against the Jets, they, they threw the kitchen sink at him. And that's where he struggled against that a little bit. You know, that's Greg Williams, his former defense or, you know, head coach and everything like that. So even in those situations, this is honestly going to be the best situation Baker Mayfield's been in. And I think Baker's in for a huge bounce back. I would play him in DFS. I mean, you might have better options in fantasy by now because you probably bailed on Baker, but I would, I'm going to play him in DFS for sure. Thinking he's just going to go off in this game. And Odell Beckham's going to go off in this game too, because they don't have anybody to cover him. He's going to take a slant route to the house because they're going to be in their zones and Baker's going to, they're going to spot drop and Baker's going to hit him in stride on one. And he's just going to take it to the house. Um, it's going to be Trey flowers on him for the majority of the day. Um, Tedrick Thompson's their big time, deep free safety. Odell was really pissed off about his performance on Monday night football. And he returned a punt really late into that game um, because of his, you know, he's going to bounce back huge in, in my opinion. If I know anything about, um, Odell Beckham. So I think he's going to have a huge game. I think Nick Chubb's going to have a huge game on the ground. You know, they're back home. I don't think their offensive line is great, but I think that, like I keep saying, this defense of Seattle is not much to them. Um, the other thing is that Seattle's going to be able to run the football pretty well. That's really kind of Cleveland's biggest issue. They have a pretty strong pass rush. And like you said, they're getting Ward and they're getting greedy back. And Seattle wants to run the football. They're a run first football team by nature. So they're going to have success running the football. But as we kind of learn, um, through when teams are running the football and the other team is passing the football, the team that's passing the football scores quicker and more often than the team that's running the football. So the way that I kind of see this game is that Seattle's going to have their success running the football, but Baker's going to punch right back scoring the football. It's going to be similar to that Seattle Rams game where Seattle gets a little bit of an early lead and then there's like some sort of turning point where um, they're kind of able to score like two quick touchdowns where Seattle exchanges those for field goals. And that's really where um, they're going to have to open it up with Russell Wilson. And I think Russell Wilson will have a big game. I think, you know, he's having the best season of his career so far to date. And, um, you know, I don't think, yes, Cleveland's pressure rate is really good. And, you know, Miles Garrett's going to have a big game. But um, I think he'll be able to run for some because the Cleveland uh, linebackers are pretty slow. And I think he's going to, you know, just do Russell Wilson stuff. And that's where I like the over to where um, I think Cleveland is going to score, you know, consistently on this defense back at home in a spot where everybody's questioning them against really the worst defense that they've faced so far, especially in terms of their pressure. So um, Baker will be able to sit back. And like I said, he'll be able to find Odell. And I think it's a good time to buy Odell low, too, right now. So um, I have a 28-27 Browns. To where, um, like I said, I think, you know, it could be 28 or even like 28, 26 to where Russ Wilson, you know, drives them down late into the game to make it a really close game. But I think Cleveland and their ability to consistently score. Um, and like I keep saying, I think they're just going to bounce back. And then probably next week we'll have to fade them again because, um, you know, Clay Travis will be saying Baker Mayfield is the Super Bowl MVP. Well, greatest player I've ever seen. I saw it all coming all along. So well, that'll be next week's story. Yeah, Parks, we ended up playing the Browns plus one and a half for a unit. Um, we took the over flat at 47 for a unit and teased the Browns six points up to seven and a half and over 41 for another unit there. The next game we have here, Parks, the three and two Houston Texans travel to the four and one Kansas City Chiefs Parks. Looking at the injury report here, DeAndre Hopkins did not 
practice on Thursday, but they say they said they were just resting him since he's a little bit of a veteran now. Um, not a whole lot to report on the Texans here. Carlos Hyde was a full participant, but looking over at the Chiefs here, Parks, guys that did not practice again on Thursday, Eric Fisher, Chris Jones, Dorian O'Daniel, Sammy Watkins is yet to practice this week, Andrew Wiley, limited participant Tyreek Hill, um, but they did get full participation today from Cam Irving, Patrick Mahomes, Alex Okafor, Shady McCoy, and Anthony Sherman Parks. Um, I do have a stat for you here. Deshaun Watson has 10 regular season losses and 27 starts. Just one loss was by more than a touchdown, and his losses have come by a combined 4.2 points per game. Looking at this line here, Parks opened at Kansas City minus 8. has been bet down to 4 across the board. The total of 55 has stayed put in most places. It's been bumped up to 50 five and a half in some parks um do you think this line moving just because of the injury concerns or are there real concerns with the chiefs defense yeah it's all it's probably a little bit of both and yeah this line is really one where um you know you kind of at first glance you look at it and you say man those chiefs at home and under a touchdown you kind of really like that and then you know that's one where you kind of look at it and you have to say you know there's something up with that that you kind of have to look into it a little bit more and then like you were saying you know um a lot of the offensive lines banged up um whether cam irving is you know healthy or not he's been struggling because you know he's playing through some injury um so they're really you know they're on their second string left tackle and he's not even very good or healthy as it is and Andrew Wiley their left guard is out so they're out you know two starting offensive linemen um Tyreek Hill is out and I always say you know well maybe Sammy Watkins isn't the most valuable in terms of NFL um stats and everything fantasy football but his presence on a field matters because his speed always keeps defenses honest on two sides so without him all of a sudden you have um Nicole Hardman Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle and you know Robinson through like one or two weeks it was like where did this come from you know this kid who for four or five years just couldn't put it together um he's basically like the Antonio Callaway of the Chiefs um you know all of a sudden he's you know with Mahomes he's striking lightning what is this but then against the Lions and um in this last game hasn't been able to you know create that consistent separation Michael Hardman oh this fast rookie you know this is very exciting um all of a sudden you know he's dropping passes he's struggling to beat press coverage um he's not Tyreek Hill so you know you start to look at it and say well you know Byron Pringle was having arguably the best game of all their receivers and the Colts were playing um a ton of man coverage against the Chiefs in that game and you know some of Mahomes worst games have been against man coverage and something that I really started to think about was that I talked about Patricia had a good game plan against Mahomes and Belichick typically it's usually only for the first half but Belichick usually is able to slow down Mahomes in the first half um, at least in the two games that he's played him and I'm sitting here thinking you know Belichick and Patricia the defensive coordinator of the Texans is Romeo Crennel who you know, uh, was the defensive coordinator of the Patriots with Belichick and Patricia at one point. And um, does would Bill Belichick call Romeo Cornell and say, I would much rather the Chiefs lose than you? I mean, maybe, you know, I think that those guys definitely talk, you know, in, in some regards or Bill Belichick could obviously or Romeo Cornell could obviously turn on, you know, the Bill Belichick tape and, you know, see what they're trying to do to mix things up against Mahomes. So it'll be interesting to see 
if they're able to, you know, and I keep talking about, it, I don't like the Texans secondary. I think that um, in, in a perfect situation, the Chiefs should be able to score relentlessly on them. I just am starting to look into the situation and saying maybe it's not as perfect as it should be considering the offensive line and the skill players are a little bit down. And then you go into Mahomes' ankles banged up and um, Seth Kaiser of the Athletic Charts it every single week. And he wrote about how Mahomes on average is inaccurate on about 14 – or I think it was in that game – was inaccurate on about 14% of his passes. And then when he tweaked his ankle, he was inaccurate on 46% of his passes. So like you said, he hasn't missed practice. He's obviously going to play through it. But I think you just have to take the Chiefs as a whole and um, almost you know discount them to the fact where they were 11-point favorites against the Colts and lost outright. And um, you know the Texans are not 7-point favorites over the Colts on a neutral field. That would be about 2 or 3 points. So should the Texans be about 8-point underdogs, you know, like you said, that's where it opened. That's arguably where it should be. But the overcorrection or the correction potentially from, well, the Colts beat them outright because of this, 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 and this. All of a sudden you see that spread fall down to four. And then like you said, um, my big thing with Deshaun Watson is in something that I say almost every single week is I bet against him when he's the, uh, the favorite because – I think they're an overrated roster altogether, and when they're in that favorite spot, I could see them playing down to opponents and losing to teams, but like you said, when they're in the underdog role, that's when Watson's usually the gamer, and that's where he brings his team back, and that's where he stays in games, and he's gunslinging, and you know, Bill O'Brien, I always say, you know, tries to protect him with the run game, and it digs Watson in holes, and Watson has to battle back, so... Yeah, even if the Chiefs do come out and have a good offensive performance, and I'm looking at the Texans secondary and saying, even if they play man, um, I think you know Byron Pringle could actually be a cheap DFS play this week, um, taking on players in the slot if he could get open. I think Travis Kelsey is going to do the same kind of things that he always does. You know, they're also mixing in Damian Williams, and Shady seems like he, you know, like you said, he's missing practice. So um, even the running back situation, you know, they don't necessarily even have a running back at this point. So you know, could Mahomes? against this weakened secondary consistently bring them back yeah also you have to say you know merciless jj watt on the if they stack them up on the left side against backups and they're able to push mahomes who has an ankle injury and he doesn't have the skill players um maybe there is a chance to where deshaun watson against like you said this terrible chiefs defense that is going to you know give up passes and they're going to struggle to contain um watson when the plays break down and when he's in the pocket so i think watson is a big time fantasy play in this obviously i mean like i said i think uh pringle is a good uh cheap one i think of all the running backs you have to go damian williams because until shady shady has to get pass protection down but he really needs to get his ankle healthy because it just seems like they're um purposefully limiting his touches so um but on the other side i mean will fuller you're going right back to I think Kiki QT is a is a great cheap DFS play. The tight ends, um, because uh, you know Watson consistently finds those guys in the red zone, whether it be Fells or Atkins. Um, if you need really cheap tight end to just you know finish off the lineup, um, potentially throwing those guys in, and then you know uh, Hopkins, you know hasn't blown up yet, but you can potentially see it here. But I think the you know, the the big winner here is Deshaun Watson, and yeah, I mean I, I don't have what it takes to call the upset. I said it was going to be um, 31-28 Mahomes, just kind of because it, it's hard to bet against those Chiefs at home but you know 31-28 I do think the Texans could potentially you know get in and cover that spread and you know potentially it's a situation where Watson is down 31-28 and has a chance to win the game um so I do I you know I lean to the over but that total is pretty high and then my questions with the Chiefs offense have me saying that you know Watson could you know really get this over cooking um it's just you know are the Chiefs there yet is that what the line impact is there for and then you know yeah it's it's tough for me to invest fully in the Texans but I could definitely 
we understand where it's coming from with this spot. Yeah, Parks, I'm looking at the next one here. The 4-1 and one Saints travel to the 2-3 and three Jacksonville Jaguars. Parks, looking at the injury front here for the Jaguars. Gardner Minshew is limited on Thursday with a groin injury. Um, Calais Campbell and Brandon Linder, non-injury later, are both full participants. Um, limited Jalen Ramsey, first two times this week. He's been limited Wednesday and Thursday. DJ Hayden, same thing with him. Um, looking over at the Saints side, Alvin Kamara was limited, and then Traquan Smith, Trey Henderson, Drew Brees all did not practice, um, so none of those really too surprising. I think Minshew will be all right, Parks. Not sure what's going on with Ramsey, but this line did open up Parks at Jacksonville minus one, and it has held pretty true. Um, see one and a half in some spots. The total of 43 and a half is also held really solid through the week so not a whole lot of movement here parks um we do have a play in this one as well if you want to talk about it yeah definitely like the jaguars in this spot and something that i've kind of you know realized or have been talking about is you know we're buying Gardner Minshew at this point and thinking that he's a starting NFL quarterback and he's a legitimate quarterback. And in this spot, we could potentially even look to him, you know, in DFS against the Saints, who are, um, I think they're 24th in successful pass plays allowed and they're 26th in explosive pass plays allowed. And, um, you know, Minshew has Filippo, who's consistently throwing the football. The Saints have a great run defense. So I think that they're going to let Minshew drop back and he's going to, you know, kind of do his thing once again. Um, I think Fournette, you still play him in fantasy because um, I think they could throw the ball to Fournette and Fournette's been great this season Um, something that I've kind of been wrong on and you know I'm kind of have been wrong on the Jaguars altogether because like I said I I think Minshew um, is honestly just a better fit altogether for this offense than what Foles would have been I think this team has a chance to succeed expectations with Minshew starting there and um, I really do you know and he's he's seventh in adjusted net yards per attempt right now to where you know he's not turning the ball over he's pushing the football down the field and um, he's creating offense you know consistently so it's going to be really interesting to see um like I said you know you get this Saints team to where you know the first two games with Teddy we're kind of just kind of watching and learning and then the second you know that third game last week we kind of said they're running too hot right now I don't believe in necessarily what they're doing on offense let's try and fade it here and the Buccaneers you know they lost by seven there were a lot of different ways you could take that but I still I don't walk away from that game saying okay I was wrong you know I'm going to you know I'm taking the Saints all the way to to the Super Bowl. This and that. Teddy Bridgewater's the best quarterback in the NFL. You know, he really proved everybody. And I actually really like Teddy Bridgewater, and I think his story is just awesome. But like I said, it's all about overrating and underrating things. And um, I'm try- I'm not worried about Teddy Bridgewater's story. I'm worried about whether people think he's you know what they think about him. Whether I think he's overrated or underrated right now. And I think coming off of that large passing game, people are going to say. You know, Teddy against this Jaguars defense who, you know, they're not exactly right right now, but they're still better um, than where the Saints are, especially in terms of against the pass. Um, A.J. Boye's still been playing pretty well. So um, I think that – and the other big thing is the, is the pass rush that Tampa Bay gets no pressure. Um, they really – Shaq Barrett's the only guy who can get pressure for Tampa Bay. At this point, for the Jaguars, you know, you got Calais, Josh Allen starting to get some pressure, and Gawkway's playing for a contract, and he's put together two or three straight games. So I think that they can get after Teddy to the point where they're going to bring out the – 
check down Teddy Bridgewater that we thought we were going to get against Tampa Bay. And then it goes back to um, here's you know the other thing with Minshew. You know, I'm listening all these quarterbacks. He's better than you know. He's better than Jameis Winston at this point. You know, he's he's not going to turn the football over. He's going to make the right decisions. He plays out of structure decently well. Um, I, you know, Minshew can perform in these situations. You know, his receivers obviously aren't great, but he's turning something out of out of Chark, who um, you know was a high end athlete at um, LSU. Really was, you know, a deep ball specialist on a team that didn't throw the deep ball at LSU. You know, has just an awful first season, uh, Blake Bortles, you know. And then all of a sudden he comes in and actually has a, not just a competent quarterback, you know, like I keep saying, a quarterback who's playing above average compared to his peers. And now Chark's having a good time. So uh, they didn't follow him with Bradbury last week. I would assume Lattimore will follow him. But they moved Chark into the slot a little bit. And they could move him around to get him decent matchups. But if Lattimore follows Chark, I think Dee Westbrook, who had a bit of a bounce back spot last week, could be in for a big game. And, you know, they don't have, you know, James O'Shaughnessy's their tight end, and it's kind of, you know, a stretch, but the Saints do give it up to the tight ends, and I think Minshew in those situations in the red zone. So I really, I really like this spot for the Jaguars. I think the other one is Kamara will have a huge game in this because you just saw what McCaffrey was able to do the Jaguars defense. And like I said, with the pass rush of the Jags, I think Sean Payton's going to say that, you know, with the pass rush of the Bucks, let's let's drop back and sling it with Teddy. With the pass rush of the Jags, let's run the football. Let's control this game. We've got this rookie quarterback who's playing a little bit over his head. You know, let's shut down the run and see if he can beat us. But what I'm saying is, if you do shut down the run and see if you can beat him, and you're playing this checkdown style, I think Gardner's going to beat him. So um, yeah, it's finally I think we get a chance to bet on Gardner um, at home, where the Saints are um, coming off of two straight impressive home wins. You know, a primetime home win and a divisional home win. And now they have a grass game against a team uh, in a division that they're not familiar with. So I think Gardner can sneak up on them and get a win. So, uh, yeah, we're taking the Jags. All right, Parks, and looking at the next one here, the 3-2 and two Philadelphia Eagles take on the Minnesota Vikings at Minnesota at 3-2 Parks. Looking at the injury front here, Ronald Darby, Deshaun Jackson, Timmy Jernigan, Avante Maddox all did not practice again today. Um, Orlando Skanjic was a full participant. Sproles did not practice. Um, Jason Peters was limited. And Sidney Jones was a full participation, so that's nice to see. Over on the Vikings side here, Limbaugh Joseph, full participation. Um, he was non-injury related. Um, Josh Klein did not practice with this foot injury. The guys that were limited, um, Mackenzie Alexander, Kentrell Brothers, Irv Smith was a full participant, Parks, um, and Garrett Bradbury was limited, but um, Adam Thielen is sick. He did not practice on Thursday, so make sure you guys keep an eye out on that one, Parks. Um, looking at the line here, Parks, an opener of two and a half for the Vikings has been taken to three in most places. The total of 44 has stayed um, the same there, Parks. We do have a bunch of plays in this one, including a two-unit bet, Parks. Um, if you want to talk about some of those. Yeah, definitely um, thinking the Eagles in this spot. And, um, you know, going back to something we've said for a while now, you know, kind of two things we've said for a while. Um, one is, you know, Kirk Cousins, he's much better against the bad teams than he is the good teams. You know, he beats Atlanta. He beats Oakland. He 
beats the New York Giants. But, you know, when it's the Bears and the Packers and these big spots, you know, he struggles under pressure and blows the game. Um, you could say the Eagles' secondary is closer to, you know, uh, the Giants' secondary than maybe the Bears' secondary. But you also have to look at the defensive front. Um, but, you know, one of the other things that I was saying, you know, kind of coming into this spot is the Eagles were really banged up. You know, they had guys go down during the game against Atlanta, and it's kind of hard to judge based off of that Atlanta game. And the following week against Detroit, um, the same thing kind of coming back from injuries. But the, the last two weeks, they were able to get the Green Bay Packers and um, – you know, came back and kind of got healthy in in terms of being able to beat the Packers in you know a really pressure situation uh, early into the season due to the you know their early season struggles and injuries. So they kind of get right against the Packers, get a long rest, and then they get the Jets to where now they're in my opinion trending right back up to where they should have been you know kind of all along. So um, I think you know you kind of see the three because you know nobody knows what to do with Minnesota, um, nobody knows what to do with the Eagles. But what I'm saying is I kind of think I know what to do with the Eagles, and it's to bet on them to start to get you know get their stuff together as they move forward into this spot so it'll be an interesting game I think the key to this game is um, for the Eagles on offense you know the Vikings defense has been good but it's not you know like top five in the NFL good at least not so far to this date and one of their biggest issues has been when teams are able to go heavy against them you know Zimmer is I always say kind of this old school guy who really likes to go base you know doesn't mind going heavy with his personnel so when teams go heavy he matches with heavy obviously and with the Eagles what that does is create situations to where they get their linebacker or their tight ends and running backs on linebackers and they're able to kind of expose that over the middle of the field um, the Eagles have been going a lot more to you know Goddard was injured to start the season was one of those guys that you know really needed that Thursday night and that 10 day layoff and then the Jets to really get healthy but now he's getting healthier they're you know putting him and Ertz on the field together and I think that those two against what the Vikings are kind of able to do you know with J. Ron Curse is you know kind of a dime player and um you know Kendrickson Barr um I, th- I think I think that they're going to be able to have some success with their tight ends over the middle of the field the other one I kind of like is um I actually think Miles Sanders in this spot to where you know I kind of broke it down on the recap podcast that Howard will be you know downhill plotting everything like that but this isn't you know a downhill bruising type of game this is a game where you the Eagles are going to get them heavy and you know then they're going to spread it out on them and make the Vikings run and cover ground with their bigger sets so um I think Miles Sanders is is in a really good spot to where um something that I just have kind of noticed and I'm just like kind of calling like a bold specific shot here but um the Vikings really struggled against Todd Gurley when Sean McVay did this you know he got Higby and and, uh, Everett on the field at the same time and he got Gurley matched up on Barr and he really Gurley exposed Barr Matt Nagy against the Bears just two weeks ago ran almost the same exact play and I noticed it and I was like man they got Tarek Cohen in the same spot on bar the way that Sean McVay did against Todd Gurley. And I'm thinking that Doug Peterson, who, you know, knows Nagy and kind of, you know, obviously is watching this, is going to get Miles Sanders, who, like I keep saying, the passing down back on Anthony Barr to where he can expose him over the middle of the field. So I think, it, you know, I don't know. It's been a touchdown for Cohen and Gurley. I think that could potentially get a receiving touchdown for Miles Sanders. And um, But I, like I keep saying, I really like the fact that they're able to throw to their running backs and tight ends against the Vikings in this spot. And the other thing that I like is against the Packers and against the um, Jets. Carson Wentz kind of has started to turn down, turn into a game manager a little bit. I've always talked about he has a lot of game manager qualities. It's just he also 
you know, runs for his life, makes these crazy plays. But what comes with these crazy plays is, and I've said it before, you know, oh, these big, strong quarterbacks, they never get hurt. Let's draft them high. And then Carson Wentz and Josh Allen and Big Ben are always hurt, you know, so um, because they're extending and they're making these plays and they're taking these big hits. And it doesn't matter how big you are when you take these big hits, you have issues. Uh, Wentz really, you know, Jason Peters goes down in the middle of the game. Andre Dillard, their backup left tackle, goes down in the middle of the game, just kind of gets beaten and bruised against Atlanta. And he actually had to miss a couple plays of the Atlanta game Carson Wentz did due to injury and then the same thing against Detroit he's getting absolutely destroyed um and there's a clip of him you know just extending the play and extending the play and and his offensive line legitimately couldn't hold up protection long enough to where he's getting killed and then he comes back on that Thursday night game and it was his lowest time to throw really of the season and all of a sudden you know they were down like 13 to nothing or um at least 10 to nothing and he's completing all these quick check down passes and they're moving straight down the field against the Packers and they're running the football ball with consistency and then you see the same thing against the Jets I don't think he went over 200 yards Wentz did but he was extremely efficient in that game wasn't turning the football over wasn't extending plays wasn't taking sacks wasn't taking hits so now against Minnesota with these situations where you're able to get those quick passes to your um, running backs and tight ends over the middle of the field that's what you're looking for from Wentz get the ball out of your hands quick and don't take those hits to where Minnesota has you know an unbelievable pass rush and the longer he stands back there that's what actually happened uh, the Vikings went to Philadelphia last season and beat them and it was a bet we took because the Eagles beat them in the NFC Championship and the Vikings had big time revenge on their plates and what happened in that game was Wentz got absolutely destroyed in the first half and started to bring them back in the second half Minnesota beat them but that's what he was doing was just holding on to the football and he hasn't been doing that recently so I think he'll have a pretty good game as long as he doesn't turn the football over and the Eagles will be able to control the clock and something Matt Nagy did and like I keep saying Peterson and Nagy are they're legitimately friends so um something Nagy did was he ran the play clock down to zero every single time because when you get the offense of the Vikings out of sync you know we know what they're they are and if you get them into a situation where it goes run run third and long for Kirk Cousins like I don't care how bad the Eagles pass defense is (laughs) Kirk Cousins is bad on third and long and he's not going to you know be consistent in that spot and then all of a sudden they punt to the Eagles who just eight minute drive and they score a touchdown and then Minnesota goes run run and now it's like halftime you know and Minnesota's had like six carries and you know three passes and that's that's the type of situation that you could potentially get into if you're uh, Minnesota you look into the Eagles they have one of the best defensive uh run defenses in the NFL their pass defense is terrible and something Mike Zimmer and the you know cousins and them did was they did come out and pass against the New York Giants the the difference between the Eagles pass defense and the Giants defense is that the Eagles have been able to start to get pressure it kind of came in a big wave in terms of they got 10 sacks against Luke Falk you could really you know just pretend that that didn't happen for the most part but a lot of it was you know Getting guys like Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, who are really their superstars on the defensive line, back involved. Um, Graham, I think, had three sacks, and Fletcher Cox was just a menace in that game. And Fletcher has kind of played, you know, against Green Bay. He really has, a, you know, a slow start, and then against Green Bay, he he took off, and now he's having a pretty good season. And he gets Garrett Bradbury, who, like you said, is banged up to begin with. His biggest question was functional strength, and he's just been getting blown up by, you know a lot of run defenders and I think Fletcher Cox will just toss him to the side. Like you said, Klein is out for this game. Their other guard. Um, I think Cox is going to have a huge game. They put Brandon Graham 
um, over the guard against the New York Jets, and they've mixed up blitzes. They've moved things around because Schwartz has realized, Jim Schwartz, he's saying, we're not getting the pressure we used to get. We need to mix up our looks to get the same type of pressure. So um, they're going to mix up blitzes on Cousins. They're going to come straight up the middle on Cousins because they're so weak up the middle, and that's going to get Cousins to bail those pockets, and then he's going to you know, be panicking, and that's where I go back to the past defense may be struggling, but um, I think Philadelphia has what it takes to win this game. I have them winning it uh, 21-20, so it's going to be a close one, but if you're getting three points, um, I like Philly in the under, and like I said, I, I like their time of possession in this game. Yeah, Parks, we ended up taking the Eagles plus three for two units, and then a unit each on uh, the under at 44, and the Eagles teased to nine with the under at 49 and a half. That's a six-point teaser there. Looking at the last one o'clock park, save the best one for last year. 0-5 Washington Redskins at the 0-4 Miami Dolphins parks. Um, if it wasn't already clear, Dolphins coach Brian Flores said their QB situation is, quote, settled. Rosen will be a starter for the rest of the season. Bearing injury, 12-game audition for Rosen to prove to Miami and 31 other teams he can be a long-term QB1. Looking at some of the injury report here, Parks, um, the Dolphins had 10 guys that were, once again, limited participants in practice because of injuries. Um, several of those 10, Albert Wilson, Bobby McCain, Rashad Jones, Jesse Davis, have said they're ready to play. Um, I know that yeah, Xavier Howard was also a limited participant. Looking over on the other side, Donald Penn was a limited participant. Jordan Reed still not practicing. Vernon Davis is limited. Morgan Moses is limited. Brandon Scherf is limited. Parks, um, looking at the line in this game here. It opened Washington minus six with a total of 41. That 41 is held true, but Washington is now only a three point, three and a half in some places favorite parks. How do you see this one playing out? I know, and I'm, I'm actually, I'm not going to bet on this game, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I think Miami's going to win this game. Um, I've talked about it, and you see it in the line movement. Um, Washington, you know, here's my big point on this. Everybody, and I, like I keep saying, you know, when you listen to the national media and they all say something and it sounds so dumb, you almost have to just fade it just because it sounds so stupid. And everybody just keeps saying, well, Miami doesn't want to win this game, so you might as well just Washington won this game. It's like, okay, I get what you're saying, but like, that's not necessarily true. And I've talked about it that there's tanking is a front office thing. It's not a player thing. The players and coaches are not tanking. The front office is tanking to where the players and coaches are not in a good position to win. But the players and coaches, they try and win every single week. It's just they're so shorthanded that they don't have a chance to begin with. Like Brian Flores is not coaching to lose football games. It's his first year ever as a head coach and you know like and he's a minority head coach like he's not just gonna you know ruin this thing for himself he's getting experience in trying things out and trying to win Josh Rosen has one chance you know to get a starting job from here he's he went from seventh overall pick to he might never get a chance to start in the NFL or you know he needs injuries to start in the NFL like he's not gonna go out there well I'm on a tanking team so I'm not gonna try it like that's not how it works so are they at a roster disadvantage? Yeah. But the fact of the matter is they're going to try in this game, and I don't know if Washington's going to try in this game. That's where I go back to, you know, I don't know. So here's the thing with Washington. They get this, you know, strict uh, – Jay Gruden was like the ultimate players coach. You know, he, players responded well to him. He liked his guys. I've talked about that. Bill Callahan is going to be this authoritarian figure. They're running gassers after practice. Um 
they're they're really doing weird stuff in practice all together. He wants to get back to ground and pound and run the football. And everyone's going to tell you to start Adrian Peterson because they're going to have a lead. They're going to beat this tanking team. I'm saying, you know what? This game is just so stupid that I wouldn't play anybody in fantasy altogether. Except I would look to Josh Rosen, Devontae Parker, and Preston Williams. I mean, I don't know which one of those guys is going to do anything. But the fact of the matter, in my opinion, is Josh Rosen will be the best quarterback on the field on Sunday. And if he wants to start in the NFL, he's at home against a team that just fired their head coach. All these guys just had their toughest week of practice, and they just got their friend Jay Gruden just got fired. And guess what? You get to fly down to Miami, and on Saturday night, you might get to sneak out for a few drinks and everything. And then on Sunday morning, if you lose, who gives a crap, right? That's what Washington's thinking. Miami, like I said, oh, they're tanking, they're tanking. I don't know about that. I think Rosen is playing for something, and Rosen is better than any other quarterback, even Dwayne Haskins. So, um, and Dwayne Haskins isn't going to start because he's not ready, which goes back to Gruden spent zero time preparing that kid to get ready. And I've also heard, you know, I, I was never a big Dwayne Haskins fan, so I'm honestly not surprised at this by him. But I go back to, you know, Rosen's better. They're going to go party in Miami, and Miami is not tanking. Like, they are tanking, but they're not literally quitting the way that people are telling you on TV that they are. So I would just take Miami. Yeah, Parkson, um, I'm with you on that. Moving on to the next one here, 405 Eastern. The 4-0 49ers travel to the L.A. Rams, who are 3-2 now, Parks. Looking at some injury stuff here, Mike McGlinchey for the Niners is out four to six weeks. Um, Joe Staley, obviously, still out there, did not practice. Um, Kyle Juszczyk did not practice as well. It doesn't look like he's going to play either. Um, he's probably going to miss a couple weeks. D. Ford was limited there. On the Rams side, Gurley. Clay Matthews, Akib Tlaib um, all did not practice. Um, Brandon Cooks was limited. Sean McVay did say um, there's no update on the health status of Gurley and Tlaib. Um, they're hopefully having a full day here on Friday. Um, and he also said that Brandon Cooks is, with his concussion, is feeling good. Um, so he's really not giving away a lot parts, which we didn't expect. But looking at the line here, open at Rams minus three that is held pretty true um some three and a halfs out there parks the total which opened at 48 and a half has been up to 50 and a half across the board parks how do you see this one going yeah, this is one I'm, I think I'm mainly going to be on the sidelines. You know, everything kind of tells you that you need to take the Rams here. And I'm just sitting here looking and saying, then why the heck is that line minus three? You know, like if everything's telling me to take the Rams, why is it so easy to take the Rams? I don't know. And that's why I'm a little bit interested because, you know, you got the Rams coming off of a loss with long time to prepare from a Thursday night game, whereas San Francisco is on the road from a short week in a Monday night game. So um, you add in that. Like you said, Mike McGlinchey's out um, to add to the fact that their left tackle's out. Um, and you add in that the Rams have been able to get some defensive pressure. They've at least been pretty good. You know, Aaron Donald up the middle, everything like that. So you start to look and say, you know, shouldn't, you know, Sean McVay, with all this time to prepare, you know, shouldn't he be in a situation where he's able to have some success here? And I mean, you would assume so, but that's what I'm saying. Why is it still just sitting there at three? And, you know, I've talked about it before that, you know, I think you could argue one for one, you know, Kyle Shanahan versus Sean McVay. And I think Sean McVay is a, you know, brilliant head coach. I think he gets up, um, 
you know, he gets a little bit overrated in some regards when, you know, people just fawn over everything he does. But I also think he's a really good coach. But I think Shanahan is right there with him. And I've talked about how McVeigh has spent a few years under Shanahan and they both spent a few years with, you know, his dad, Mike Shanahan. So these guys know each other extremely well. And every time they get together, um, it's usually, you know, last year it was tough because Shanahan was just so undermanned that McVeigh really did kind of just wipe him out. But I think this is a potential chance where, you know, Shanahan's going to really get his team up and really, you know, kind of sell the idea that on this short week, on the Monday night football, you know, we're going to get up for this game and we're going to, you know, play in this game. And um, the interesting one for me is going to be how the pressure of the 49ers comes in on Jared Goff, because we all know how bad Jared Goff is. And we all know this whole season, the 49ers, uh, I think they rank third in pressure rate right now. So... They've been great in terms of pressure, but this is obviously going to be, you know, their biggest test of the season. You know, like I keep saying, on the road in the short spot where McVay is it going to be able to scheme around that pressure? You would assume so and put Goff in, you know, reasonable situations. So, um, it's, like I keep saying, it's going to be interesting to see. And then Todd Gurley is um, he's banged up with a quad injury. I keep going back to it, and you know I said it against the Browns. They're going to struggle against the Browns if they don't have Daryl Henderson because Malcolm Brown is a straight ahead downhill power runner and that's completely fine but when you don't have that breakaway ability and you don't have that speed to get to the edge we can start creeping in on you and if you don't have Daryl Henderson out there it's just not going to happen and they still haven't been able to do it um McVay started to hint at it I talked about you know give it four or five weeks and here we are you know it's week six so I'm starting to get a little bit behind schedule but um you know it's got to happen here you know if if Todd Gurley's banged up because they'll just lose if they want to run Malcolm Brown just straight into you know a brick wall they'll just lose if they want to get Daryl Henderson out to the edges then they'll have a chance um so that's where I'm thinking you know they have to get back to their running game the Rams that you know okay they get great pressure they're out there offensive linemen the, the other biggest thing is uh Sam Fran's out use check they're they're fullback and you really you know the way that they use use check they can line him up at receiver tight end fullback running back you know they move him everywhere um on this during the same play so it changes it limits their running game but the Niners are going to come in here and just run the ball and run the ball and run the ball excessively. You know, they have three running backs. The Rams tech, you know, pretty much give up a decent amount on the run. It helps your defensive line to where you can kind of rotate those guys and keep those bodies fresh where you're running the football. So, um, I think it's going to be an interesting game. I think the two tight ends, um, whether it be Gerald Everett's a good play in this game, in my opinion, because um, Goff is really finding him. They're starting to go to more heavier sets with two tight ends on the field. Um, but Higby's the blocker. Everett's the guy that's going to catch the passes. And then George Kittle, uh, the Rams are like 30th in the NFL against tight ends. And like I just said, um, the run game is going to be a little bit hindered. And Shanahan is going to have to draw up plays to where Kittle gets the ball in his hands and is able to run after the catch because he doesn't want that pressure coming in. He wants to protect his offensive line. So Kittle will have a huge game. Everett will have a huge game. Cup, I mean, he's the number one receiver by far. You know, last season, it was an even distribution to all three receivers. Um, it slants heavily towards Cup now this season. Um, he's kind of, uh, what's his name, safety blanket over the middle of the field so I could see Cup having a decent game but yeah I mean altogether I'm really just you know I'm just not sure about this game um just really kind of seeing you know how legitimate are the Niners because I keep saying if if you actually want to bet the Niners you're better off just betting them to win the NFC West because you have better odds and if they're going to go 5-0 and and beat the Rams on the road um I keep talking about Seattle's defense um that this would that would be the most impressive thing, and they would be the NFC West champions if they win. So that's a better bet than taking the Niners plus three. Um, so I mean, it, it kind of is a Rams or pass situation. But I'm also saying, you know, 
I don't know why. I just can't pull the trigger on the Rams yet. Yeah, Parks, looking at um, another one here, the other 4-5 game. The 1-4 and four Atlanta Falcons travel to the 1-3-1 one, and one Arizona Cardinals, Parks. Um, looking at some injury stuff here, we have Larry Fitz did not practice, but that was non-injury related. Um, David Johnson, Hassan Reddick, and Terrell Suggs also did not practice. Christian Kirk was limited, so be sure to keep an eye out on those. Um, Desmond Trufant did not practice with his toe. Julio did not practice with a hip. Um, Alex Mack and Jamon Brown were both limited participants. Parks, looking at the line here, an opener of Atlanta minus three. That has been bet down to two and two and a half. Um, the total of 47 and a half has been bet up to 51 and a half and 52 parks. Um, yeah, uh, and then I have a note here. Kyler Murray, four touchdowns, four picks, 21 sacks, and that one win just against the Bengals parks. Um, how do you see this one going? Yeah, I, I thought... I thought over at 48, I didn't realize it moved like that. So um, what that tells you is that, yeah, the over is even was a better play than I even thought it was. So um, and I, I wasn't going to go long on this one and just start everyone in fantasy in this one. This is the fantasy game that you really want to have everybody in. Um, you know, Matt Ryan and Kyler Murray are the best two fantasy plays on the whole freaking thing. Um, Austin Hooper is by far the best tight end in the whole deal. Byron Murphy's probably going to follow Julio. And, you know, I love Byron Murphy, but he, that's going to be a tough one for him. And then, you know, Tremaine Brock on Ridley, it's going to be, you know, ugly. Um, but then on the other side, you know, Larry Fitzgerald, um, they're going to get him on the slot and they have absolutely nobody there. And um, David Johnson, if he can get healthy, if not, honestly, Chase Edmonds is because he's going to be a lot cheaper in DFS is even a better play. If David Johnson's banged up, um, Kyler Murray is going to be a big time play because um, like I kind of talked about, he looks like he's starting to get his touch and accuracy deep down the field. Um, and he's running a lot right now. It's just, you know, he's, he, you know, the pressure, like you said, he's taking all his sacks. He's abandoning clean pockets. Here's the facts. You get this Atlanta defense that, you know, they're done. They're dead in the water. Dan Quinn is he's done. Like He needs to get fired. Um, and they're just not going to travel across the country and get up for this game. There's just no chance, in my opinion. I think Arizona is going to win. I think it's going to lead to Dan Quinn getting fired. I think that they waited one week too long to get Dan Quinn fired because now Kyler Murray is going to embarrass them. So I really do think that's what's going to happen, that Murray just goes off in this game, that um, Atlanta does the same thing where they try and run the football and then they get down a little bit and then they have to throw their way back. And Matt Ryan has big stats by the end of it because Arizona's defense is awful too. So um, I like Kyler in the over. And um, I think, you know, uh, a good tease is getting Arizona at home over eight and getting the Browns at home over seven. So um, you get Baker and Kyler, the two former Heismans on the same day, uh, getting a touchdown plus at home. So, you know, if, if those two are worth anything, they'll cover a touchdown plus at home. Um, both of them will on this Sunday. So I think that's a good tease. Yeah, Parks, looking at the next one here, 425 on Sunday, the 3-2 and two Dallas Cowboys travel to the 0-4 New York Jets. Looking at um, some injury stuff here for the Cowboys, um, nose tackle Antoine Woods was limited on Wednesday, was upgraded to full participation today, so it looks like he's going to return. He's missed the last three games there. That would push... Uh, Tristan Hill to um, probably being inactive on game day. Randall Cobb did not practice today. Um, He has a back and hip ailment, but he was a full participant yesterday, so keep an eye on that one. Um, There is some optimism from Jerry Jones about Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins, but that again is from Jerry Jones. Um, Leighton Vander Esch is sick and did not practice today. Over on the Jets side, Parks, 
Looking at Sam Dartle is going to be making his return here, Parks. Not a whole lot else to note. Um, this line did open at seven. Cowboys Lane seven. Uh, it's been up, bet up to seven and a half and eight at some spots. The totals moved from forty-three and a half up to over forty-four and a half, uh, one forty-five out there, Parks. How do you see this one going? Yeah, I think we should bet the over um, before it gets too high, honestly. Because, yeah, I saw it at like 43-2, and I've been waiting for Darnold to get cleared. But I think, yeah, I mean, the over should be a good bet. I mean, it does stink because I don't think Smith or Collins will play the two tackles for the Cowboys. And I think that has a huge impact on the upside of the Cowboys' ceiling. I just also think the Jets' defense is really bad. And Zeke will be able to have a big game running. And they don't have any cornerbacks that can match up on, you know, Cooper and uh, Gallup. So I think those are all you know just big time plays again and then you look at Dallas's defense like I said maybe a little bit overrated Van Der Esch having his worst game against Aaron Jones then like you said he's sick and now you know Le'Veon Bell is kind of the guy that he's gonna have to chase down and follow around um it does help that like you said they got Antoine Woods back that does help their run defense but I mean the thing is I think Dallas will be able to control this game get out to a lead and then I think we can go over in this game because Darnold will hopefully be able to bring them back you know it's obviously um, I don't think there's any examples of a guy coming back from mono but I've talked about how um, Gase kind of just punted last week because he gave Darnold two full weeks of practice during their bye week and then all of last week because all he cares about is the success of Darnold. He doesn't care about Luke Falk at all. So um, at least Darnold has those two weeks to prepare. And then, I mean, you look and, you know, Robbie Anderson – um, is it, you know, and Chris Herndon's hurt, and that really does hurt them too. But Robbie Anderson, you know, could get deep a little bit. Jamison Crowder, um, all of a sudden, Le'Veon Bell is, you know, back and alive. And, you know, Bell looks good. It's just when your quarterback's Luke Falk, it doesn't matter how good you look. So um, I think, you know, I don't think the Jets are going to have this offensive explosion of any kind. But if it's like, you know, 31-17, 31-20 type of game, it goes over with ease. And um, I could see Dallas potentially scoring like that, despite the fact that their tackles is just, you know, their tackles against good edge rushers, um, and even, you know, Preston Smith, Zedaria Smith, guys like that, that's an issue um, against the Jets. You know, even Henry Anderson is out, and he's arguably, you know, Quinton Williams is banged up. You know, their defense is just awful right now, and nobody's healthy. So um, the Jets are in a tough spot, but I do think that Darnold will keep them around that touchdown spread and um, hopefully would get them over, you know, 44 points in the game. Yeah, Parks, looking at the uh, the next one here, the last of the 425s. Um, Two and three Tennessee Titans travel to the one and four Denver Broncos. I'm looking at some injury stuff here for the Titans. Outside linebacker Cameron Wake, uh, Sharif Finch, and Chris Milton did not practice on Thursday. Delaney Walker returned to practice after missing on Wednesday, so he was a full participant. Parks, um, not a whole lot over on the Denver side. I mean, we know that they're without Bradley Chubb there, Parks. This line. Opened as a pick. Broncos are now favored by two or two and a half all the way across. Um, the total of 40 and a half is maintained. Um, some have gone up or down half a point. Parks, how do you see this one going? Yeah, I want nothing to do with this game, you know, altogether. You got, you know, the one in four Broncos who, yeah, they're coming off a win. They're not, I don't think they're as bad as the record, but, you know, I also, I don't love what Fangio's doing. I don't like Joe Flacco whatsoever. Um, their offensive line is awful. Um, Tennessee has a great pass rush. Um, and then, 
Uh, they have no run game whatsoever. I think Cortland in Sanders is really starting to show that he's a 31-year-old off an Achilles injury, had really two or three great weeks, and now he's starting to look, you know, like I thought he was going to look. Cortland Sutton is easily the number one receiver, and I think Sutton's a good fantasy play this week. Has three touchdowns in the past two weeks and has really started to take over. Um, Flacco has real faith in him. He'll take him down the football field, and we've talked about Malcolm Butler and Adoree Jackson um, at times, you know, are just waiting. And the good thing with Sutton is he's such a physical presence that sometimes it just takes one with him. Uh, I think it was like an 80-yard touchdown against the Chargers Sutton had. So I do like Sutton. I, you know, like I keep saying with those running backs, it's such a mess that you don't even touch anything else. Tennessee's pretty good against the tight ends. So Tennessee's defense is pretty good. Um, and then the issue is obviously their offense. Chris Harris, you assume he's going to follow Corey Davis or they'll just play sides. Um, Harris is the best cornerback in the NFL. So you're really just, you know, even if just a just based on Tennessee, who, you know, A.J. Brown is starting to play the majority of the snaps over Tajay Sharp. He's finally getting in there. But even in this game, you know, you just want to say this game, I want to see him play all the snaps. And I don't care if he does anything. That's just a positive indicator, um, because if he's on Chris Harris or if Corey Davis on Chris Harris, it's just messy. I've also seen that Jonu Smith is starting to eke out Delaney Walker as that team's number one tight end. So I would really drop Delaney in fantasy um, just altogether. So, um that's where I don't like their pass catchers at all. And, you know, Denver struggles against tight ends, but I think it's going to be Jonu Smith in this spot um, if you want to stick a tight end in there. Um, but the key to me, uh, if Tennessee wants to win this game, it'll be on the back of Derrick Henry. Fournette had like 220 on him. Uh, David Montgomery has been awful this season, and he had a decent little game on them. Um they're going to be able to run the football in some regard. So I think he'll have a decent game, but you know, it's, it's a, it's going to be an ugly game. If Tennessee gets an early lead, they'll probably win. If Tennessee gets down early, they'll probably lose. That's the way it goes with that team. So it's not gonna be fun to watch. Yeah. And the Sunday night here parks, eight twenty on NBC, the one and four Pittsburgh Steelers travel out to the Chargers, who are two and three parks. So I'm looking at some injury reports from today, which is Thursday. Um, Jalen Samuels is out. Um, guys that did not practice Roosevelt Knicks, James Washington is also out. Mark Barron did not practice. Um, Vance McDonald did not practice. Limited was Steven Nelson, Mike Hilton, Mason Rudolph um, coming back from his concussion protocol. Looking over on the Chargers, the guys that did not practice were uh, Melvin Ingram, Justin Jackson, Nasir Adderley, um, Limited, Hunter Henry Parks. Um, Thomas Davis also did not practice, but he's on the NIR. Um, Parks, how do you feel about this one that opened at five and a half? It's been bet up to six and a half and seven. The total of 43 and a half has been bet down to 41, 41 and a half. Um, we do have a play here, Parks, so you can talk about that. Yeah, I like the Steelers and the points. And like I kind of said on the other one, they're 3-0 and against the spread since Ben went down. The fact is that their offense keeps losing them games, but their defense keeps having them lose games by about three points. So um, you really walk into this Chargers game, and I mean, I've said it for a while, the Chargers defense is really bad right now, and the Chargers offense isn't much you know, better. You look at the Steelers, their offense is really bad, but their defense has actually been performing pretty well recently. Um, the Steelers lost to, what, uh, New England? 
England, Seattle, San Francisco, and Baltimore. They have a combined record of 13-3 and when they're not playing the Steelers. The Chargers have three losses this season, uh, and their record combined when they're not playing the Chargers is 3-7-1. and So the Steelers have played a lot better opponents. The Chargers have not beaten anybody. They beat Miami, and they beat Jacoby Brissett in Brissett's first start, and they actually blew a lead to Brissett to where Brissett took them to overtime, and they needed a last-second finish in that game. So the Chargers have legitimately beat nobody. The Steelers haven't beat anybody either, but I think the fact of the matter is these are two even teams, and um, there's no home field advantage whatsoever in L.A. In fact, the last time the Steelers were in L.A., it was Monday Night Football, and the Chargers had to run a silent count because it was a home game for the Steelers, and Phil Rivers could not hear anything when he was on offense in his own home stadium. So that was actually in San Diego, not Los Angeles. But, I mean, are you saying there's not Pittsburgh Steelers fans in Los Angeles? Because I'm betting that's probably like an 80% Steelers crowd in this game. So it's going to be basically a home game. So you're getting three free points, and you're getting the fact that the Chargers have one more win than the Steelers, so they're getting extra points. And then you have the fact that the Steelers are starting their third-string quarterback. Um, You know, I'm hearing a lot of talk about whether, you know, Hodges is better than Rudolph, or the offense opened up with Devlin Hodges. And, you know, all that, that's more of an indictment on Mason Rudolph than it is on anything else that, you know, you guys are saying. If there's not a huge drop-off between Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges, that says a lot about Mason Rudolph. But it also says a lot about where the Steelers are right now to the point where they have not gotten good quarterback play all season. Look, literally all season because Ben was awful against this, uh, what's their names, the Patriots. And so all season they've been awful um, quarterback play. Still covered the last three spreads because now their bad quarterback play is being too far overrated to where people think it's that bad. But the Steelers' defense, I think, is legitimately good. And, you know, I keep thinking they're turning the football over at an unreal rate. They're sacking the quarterback at an unreal rate. Um, but then you look at, I mean, New England is actually right there and, you know, getting after it and turning the ball over at the same exact rate. And I keep thinking, you know, at some point, this Steelers thing, it's going to run cold. Or, they're, you know, they're going to look at that heartbreaking loss to the Ravens and they're going to, you know, finally have to break at some point. But this is where I go back to, this is why Mike Tomlin has a job and why I think Mike Tomlin will consistently have a job because he won't let his team die. Whereas Dan Quinn's team and Atlanta is literally just like dying at the flank. You know, they're just dying right now. I don't think Tomlin's team will do this. Um, I was reading an article on the athletic by Mark Cabali, where he talked about there was a fight at practice for the Steelers. And a lot of people are saying, you no, know, is this the end for Tomlin? And I mean, potentially, and like I keep saying, if they lose this game and they don't cover, then you do have to really start to look at Tomlin and say, you're letting the cracks of this team fall apart here. Um, but otherwise, I think that fight in practice was inspiring in my opinion because Cameron Hayward was like, he's the team captain and he's the one that like really spoke up about the fight and said that um, the defense was getting chippy with the offense because the defense is playing well and like they're saying like, let's go offense, let's get this thing rolling and they're hitting them in practice and they're being physical with them and the two most physical players they were being with was James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster and we've talked talked about the fact that Juju and James have fumbled away, you know, two games so far this season in the closing seconds. And those are their top two skill players. And with Ben Roethlisberger out and with the fact that, you know, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, this and that, like you need Juju Smith-Schuster and James Conner to step up. I've talked about, I think Juju's played well, but I still like, he needs to do a little bit more to really like start to prove and, you know, really in a prime time spot, you know, go over that edge. James Conner, I've been extremely disappointed with this season. And you look at the um, you look at the Chargers' run defense. They rank uh, it's like twenty seventh in stuff rate, twenty eighth in uh, 
uh, open field yards. They ran, they give up the most uh, yard uh, successful runs of five yards plus. They just get absolutely torched on the ground right now. You look at the Steelers' offensive line, and you know, like I said, they were getting challenged by their own defense in practice. Um, they need to step up and dominate the Chargers defensive line and James Conner, if he doesn't have a big game in this game, then you really have to start looking and saying, you know, you're not the answer here at running back. We need to start figuring something else out. So I think Connor should have a huge game. And I was going back to, um, this game is interesting to me because, uh, in 2015, the Steelers played the Baltimore Ravens with a backup quarterback, Landry Jones. And uh, Landry Jones goes down in the middle of the game. Michael Vick comes in, and the Steelers lose by three points with Michael Vick at quarterback. And then the very next week, after losing by three to the Ravens on a last-second field goal, um, they have to fly to the Chargers, where, like I said, it was a home game on Monday Night Football for the Steelers. And the Steelers rode Le'Veon Bell for, it was 21 carries, over 100 yards. He had about five receptions for about 20, 30 yards. Um, they rode Le'Veon Bell. Michael Vick was 13 for 26 in that game. Um, Antonio Brown had like four or five catches, but here's what I'm saying. You know, you just lost AB and Lev Bell and AB and Lev Bell went to the Chargers and beat them. You know, just those two. Michael Vick was awful in that game. They had an offensive line and it was those two. So if you want to pretend that Connor and Juju are, you know, if you want to actually think that Connor and Juju are, you know, better people than Bell and Brown and, you know, better players and they could fill in for those shoes, then they literally should be able to go to the Chargers who are this wounded duck and they should be able to beat them because they're that good because that's what Le'Veon Bell did with uh, technically a worse defense, but I think the defense played really well in that game. But that's where I'm getting to that I think that the Steelers should really win this game. Um, the Chargers, you know, they're going to run Melvin Gordon again, and they're going to try and get him into a flow again. And the Steelers have one of the best run defenses. And um, Mike Pouncey, their starting center, is out. And um, that's going to be Hargrave, Hayward, to it are just going to destroy Melvin Gordon, who was awful. You know, he's looked bad in two straight games now as he slowly gets into the mix. Um, but what he does is he throws the Chargers offense out of a funk. So they're going to get Melvin going early. It's going to get them in a funk. Um, the offense of the Steelers, you know, like I keep saying, they just have to pound Connor and pound Connor and just pray that Juju breaks one tackle and scores you know a big touchdown run um and that's all that's like all they can do because their offense is struggling but the Steelers defense should keep them in it I wrote about how they should defend Keenan Allen so if you go to Steelers now you can write you can read about how they've ever since they got Devin Bush and Minka Fitzpatrick they've been really good against slot receivers and tight ends and I kind of showed how they do it defensively so hopefully it's not kind of like last year where they just have no answer for Keenan Allen um I think Keenan Allen's gonna have a great game but I really think he's the only only one on the Chargers who's going to have a good game. And even then, I think they're going to limit him. And that's where I go back to, you know, run the freaking football, prove that you're as good as these other players that just left and they should win the game. So um, I think the Chargers are very overrated. So I have it like, it's going to be like a 20 to 17, just an ugly game. And uh, like I said, this will be a game where you get a lot of answers because if this defense goes on the road and gets torched by Rivers, you're going to have to really start pointing fingers at Keith Butler. And if the offense just gets pushed by the defense in practice and does doesn't show up. You have to start looking at Mike Tomlin, really. So it's going to be an interesting game. Last one here, Parks Monday Night Football game, 8-15 on ESPN. The Lions to 2-1-1 one, one, go to the Green Bay Packers at 4-1. Looking at some injury stuff here, Parks. Mike Daniels, Deshaun Han, Amani Aruore, Sean Robinson, all did not practice. Um, limited was... Danny Amendola, Hawkinson coming back from his concussion. Darius Slay and Matthew Stafford was a full participant. Um, Devontae Adams still has not practiced parks. Bulaga was um, limited, but really just veteran rest. Uh, Kenny Clark was limited. 
Um, not a whole lot more for, well, Darnell Savage did not practice um, ankle for the um, for the Packers there, Parks. Um, how do you see this one going? It opened at four and a half. That's held pretty true. Some have been bet down to four. The total of 43 and a half has been bet up to 47, though, Parks. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game, and I think I'm leaning to the Lions, but I'm really not sure on it yet. Um, mainly going back to kind of what I've said about the Packers. Um, on offense, the first thing is, you know, the floor gets those early leads. He comes up with good game plans. And as the game goes on, he kind of struggles throughout it as teams are able to throw counters. Um, my issue with that is that Patricia usually comes up with the best game plans and he has a week bye, and now he has this division game. So I think Patricia will actually be able to potentially, you know, throw a wrench in that. And then, you know, who's better in game between Patricia and LaFleur, that'll be an interesting way, you know, to figure things out. But I actually think that Detroit could potentially come out and early into these games where the Packers always ride so hot, they could come out off of a bye week and potentially throw a rank, you know, a rank, uh, whatever into that. And then Devontae Adams, um, like you said, with him out, the the Packers destroyed the Cowboys on the ground and, you know, with Aaron Jones. And I just don't know, you know, the Detroit defensive line is banged up, but I don't know if that's going to be the answer. You know, I think that you need somebody like Adams to really kind of rely on or what they need is MVS to get on the same page with Rodgers to where, you know, you can connect deep down the football field and, you know, really flip the script against this team and get them into where, if the Lions start playing from behind, I think you'd like where the Packers are sitting. But if the if the Lions can can hang on into that early game, and if they can rely on their running game, we've talked about it. The Packers' defense gets torched on the ground when teams go heavy because they don't have the heavy personnel to match it. They just brought in B.J. Goodson, who got cut by the Giants, and he's starting for them at linebacker uh, for the Green Bay Packers right now. So... Like you said, Hawkinson's a little banged up, but he I think he's fine. Jesse James is going to be in there. Uh, they, they're going to go two and three tight ends sometimes, and they're going to run straight at the Packers. Um, one of the smartest things they ever did was cut uh, C.J. Anderson, and they gave on Johnson 20 carries. And then in his first game, he struggled with 20 carries. He only got like 50, 60 yards. And what did they do? The next week, they went right back and got him 20 carries. So... They're going to get him 20 carries again. And, like, he finally, you know, carry on Johnson's free. And um, he's going to be able to run on this terrible run defense that somewhat invites teams to run on them. But in this situation, if Detroit's able to get a lead and then they're able to run, kind of like their spot in this. Um, Jair Alexander is going to be on Kenny Galladay. Love Jair Alexander. But the fact is, you know, he's given up about three or four inches to Galladay, who's a very physical specimen. So that's going to be interesting. Also, Marvin Jones, um, he torches the Packers. I just noticed that, but he really has his best games against the Packers. So, you know, you look at this, and the Packers are able to give up passes to the tight end. So, I mean, Detroit coming off of a bye has a real nice matchup altogether in terms of their defense matches up well and their offense matches up well. The Packers coming off of a huge win on a Sunday spotlight. Um, I know they're back home in Lambeau where they typically own the Lions, and that's where I'm really – I'm off it altogether at this point, but I feel like you have to look to the Lions or pass at this point. Um, and like you said, I mean, Savage is, is potentially out or, or banged up, so it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. But yeah, I'm looking to the Lions and thinking that they're going to be able to um, establish an early lead and then they're going to be able to um, kind of milk that and you know put Rodgers in a situation where he's playing from behind and then that's that's obviously a good situation for them. 
Yeah, Parks, and that'll do it for um, this week six preview here. Again, if you guys don't already follow us on Twitter at TNF underscore podcast, make sure you do that because our players are tweeted out um, right after we place them. But we'll be back on Monday for a recap of this week six right before uh, Monday Night Football. So let us know if you uh, if there's any bets you're looking at, DFS or fantasy questions you have, and we'll be happy to answer those. But uh, we'll be back on Monday.